Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Uh, more and more excited about what he's called us to. Um, and it was just it was just wonderful just to kind of, I mean, I was doing the dishes at the time and just kind of getting faster and faster and faster as I was going. Um, but it was such, so great um, to remind ourselves of what God's called us to. Um, and so... Um, it's really important that as we start looking um, at the vision um, of, of the church, we've, we've mentioned over a few weeks that that verse in Proverbs, that where there's no prophetic vision, um, that the, the, the people show no restraint. And, and it's really important that we understand that our vision as a church is born out of the heart of God. That actually this isn't just a bunch of people sat down thinking this would be a good idea or coming up with something to aim for. This is actually that something that we feel um, God's laid on our heart. This is something that we feel he's spoken to us successively time after time again. And he's just begun to shape and hone some of these aspects of the vision. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking um, at that first aspect. But we're just going to run through um, the whole vision to begin with. Um, so we believe here at Revelation Church that God's called us to raise up 300 spiritually big people. Uh, we believe that he's called us to be a resourcing church. That, that the resources the wider body with gifts and ministries. We believe that he's called us as a church to plant churches across North London, postcode by postcode. And we believe that he's called us to plant churches across the nations and cities of the world. And we believe those four things. We believe that's what God's called us to. And we're still looking at that first element um, of this 300 spiritually big people. And what does that mean? And we don't want to get hung up on the, the, the 300 aspect of it. Um, Although, having said that, it is quite an important element of it when you look at some of the prophetic words that have come. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but, the, but the goal, really, is to be raising up big people, not necessarily big church. We want to be investing in people that they would grow into spiritual giants, that they would be men and women of faith, um, and not just numbers, bums on seats. We're not looking for that. We're looking for big, mighty men and women of God. Um, I just felt during the worship, um, God brought me back um, specifically to this, the, 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 this story of Gideon, out of which this 300 big people, a big part of it was born. There were numerous other words that came about this. Um, but this is what it says in Judges 7. Um, it's a little bit off topic, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back in just a second. It says, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him, um, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, anyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people who knelt down to drink water. Um, and the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And I don't know what you think about when, when we start talking about like the vision or, or when we start talking about 
oh gosh, raising up 300 big people. I know what I think about. I think, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? What have we got? How are we going to, how can we whip ourselves up? How can we do more? How can we be more effective? How can we gather more people in? How can we connect people? How can we get them into GCs? How can we get them serving? How can we get them doing this, 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 this? That's what I think about. And yet, do you know what God thinks about? God thinks of all of the people out there. He's like, how do, how do I get rid of all of them? How do I whittle it down to this 300? How do I get down to the good stuff? And I just really feel God wants to give us a bit of a perspective check, really. Because as we work through some of these elements of the vision, you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. Whereas God says, it's not a question of how I'm going to do it. The, the, the question is, how can I hone and shape things and fashion people into a group that will achieve this? That's God's perspective. And I just really feel it's important as we come to the vision knowing that we haven't got to try and manufacture this. That we haven't got to all of a sudden now think, oh gosh, now uh, that, that's a bit of a jump, isn't it? So we're going to have to try and put some things in place and try and organize this into it. No, if God said it, it's going to happen. Now obviously we want to get there as healthy and as wisely and as, and, and, and as unified together. Absolutely. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't want to do those things. But there has to be something in God where we say, Lord, we want to throw our lot in with you. We want to be those that lap from the river. We want to be those that get our faces in the river. We want to be those that are just radical, that are, are, are absolutely bananas for you. We've got, we've got to be that kind of people because that's what he's called us to be, this unlikely army of 300 people, like Gideon's 300 and so um, over these last few uh, weeks, we've looked at different elements of this idea of 300 big people, haven't we? We've looked at um, big boldness, uh, the first one, um, the B there. We've looked at intentionality, inclusivity, um, the I that we looked at last week. Um, and this week, we're going to be exploring what it means to be a generous people, to be a big-hearted people. So if you like, live with the largesse of, of the gospel, the largesse of, of what God is doing in our hearts. And so I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would come and that, Lord, you would give me wisdom today. Lord, I pray for um, Lord uh, us to really dig into um, the fullness that you have for us. And Lord, as we open up this topic of generosity, Lord, I, I just, Lord, I just pray you would affirm those in the room that have taken huge steps of generosity and have, have lived out generous lives as a result. And Lord, would you, I pray you would challenge each of us to take steps forward with this. That, Lord God, we would be big-hearted people. That, Lord, we would live with, with your perspective Lord, that we would live knowing that, that, that the issue for you is about how do, you, how do you reign in your power so that people don't think that the victory belongs to them. Lord, I pray we would be big-hearted enough, Lord, to lay hold of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so, quick survey. So, those of you that 
serve on a Sunday, if you're on any serving team at any point throughout any term, why don't you just quickly jump to your feet? If you're a visitor, don't worry, that's fine. <laughs> um, we're not expecting you to have been serving. Um, but just have a quick look around the room. All of these people serve. All of these people give of themselves. There's a generosity of spirit um, that there is amongst people. Um, thank you all very much. Um, and so I, I do that to make the point that I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily saying that we've got to now somehow try and do more or be more this morning. What I'm saying is I'm, I'm drawing alongside and saying actually we believe God's called us to this. And even from those numbers that stood up, it's an example of what God is already doing. And so as much as it is a challenge to generosity this morning, it's an affirmation of what God has called us to and is calling us into. And so I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 5. Um, if you have a Bible with you, it will come up on the screen. Um, but just a little bit of background um, from, uh, sorry, Matthew 10. Um, just a little bit of background to Matthew 10. Um, in Matthew chapters 5 through to 7, Jesus had just spent a long time teaching, as referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, where he, gives, where he basically unpacks a lot of um, ideas to, 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 to people that have gathered to him, an audience that's gathered around him. And then we start to see in chapters 8 and 9, we actually see Jesus, he does do a little bit of teaching here and there, but actually he starts, he starts if you like, to start to, to see miracles happen um, on a very frequent basis. And in these next two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, we see Jesus cleanse lepers. He's healing loads of people all over the place, whether that's Jews um, or even um, the centurion servant. Um, he calms a storm. Um, he casts out demons. Um, he's just brought a girl back to life in chapter 9. And straight after that, he goes on to heal more people. Um, and so these last two chapters are jam-packed with, 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 with God's power being revealed. Miracle after miracle after miracle um, occurring. Um, and so he does all of this teaching in, in chapters 5 to 7. And then wham! feel like the power of God is just seems to be released and all these miracles are just kicking off. It's like the whole thing is just kind of snowballing, gathering momentum. Um, and then we arrive at chapter 10. Um, and in, at the beginning of chapter 10, he calls his disciples to him. And in that moment, he delegates an authority to them. And we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructed them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And Jesus is instructing his disciples here um, to go and do exactly what he's been doing. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And all these things Jesus has just done in the last few chapters. Um, and in fact, actually, if you look at it in, in, in um, the Gospel of Luke, which is a parallel account of Jesus' life, um, we actually see a very similar account of things that are happening in the run-up to this moment where the disciples are then sent out. And if you like, it's a continuation of what Jesus has been doing. And he's been perfectly modeled this for his disciples, and then he asks them to go and do it on his behalf. You see, he models generosity in serving people. And he sets out a pattern for his disciples to then follow. 
interestingly, I, I want us to really focus in on this last sentence here. It says um, in the ESV, um, you received without paying, give without pay. Now, in, in that instance, we might be tempted to think about th- this, is, this is money. People are looking for a service and they're looking for money uh, in return. And we might be tempted to think of, of, of it in those terms. Um, and although money would be a part of generosity, we can be generous with money, um, at the same time, it's not the full picture. Um, and actually, the ESV, or, or in a number of other translations, um, particularly the NIV, the King James Version, several other versions, they actually translate this in a much more literal sense, where it says, freely you have received, freely give. And so, 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 so what we've got here then is a much broader use of language. Um, freely you have received. We don't quite know what yet, but it, presumably if you said you received without paying, it's talking about a transaction. But, but, but freely you have received, freely give. And you can see that Jesus is actually calling them to give. To give. Freely you've received, freely give. It's all the, it's, it's, you see, it's all the things that he's mentioned previously. They're, they're to go and do all of these exploits on his behalf, to see the power of God come. What Jesus is saying is when you do that, don't expect something in return. Do it out of the generosity of your heart. You see, they give, in this case, by serving people. They go into different scenarios. And generosity in this instance looks like service of people, ministry to people. And now generosity uh, in the Bible elsewhere is about giving for the benefit of others. It's about prioritizing others' needs over and above our own. And so how does this produce big people? If we're talking about 300 spiritually big people, if we keep giving away, if we keep giving of ourselves, we keep pouring ourselves out, how does that make us bigger? How does that make us spiritually more mature? Well, actually, if we have a look in verse 8, we actually see you received without paying, or if you like, you freely, you have received. Well, the disciples have been given something. And in these few verses, what we see is we see a snapshot. We see, if you like, the disciples as a kind of conduit, something whereby God's power flows through them to the world around them. And so as they give, they're drawing on something much bigger. They're giving out of a place of having received from God. You see, the fact that they've been given something is what enables them to then give or share with others. Their generosity is rooted in something other than just a kind nature. They're not just a bunch of nice people. right? Generosity is not a natural disposition. There's a reason you have to teach children to share. right? It's, it's an overflow out of the deep generosity that God has shown to us, that God has shown to his disciples. Now, uh, admittedly, you might be generous with friends, you might be uh, generous with your family, you might, you might even be generous to friends of friends, you might offer to pay for somebody's dinner or something like that. But here what we see is the disciples are going to towns and cities that they've never been to before. And, and, and Jesus is telling them to give freely out of all that they've received 
to freely give. And so what is it then that enables them to serve people that they've never met? What allows them to give themselves so freely to people? Or rather, what's the generosity that they've been shown that enables them or equips them to then be generous to others? The clue is actually is, is in what Jesus has instructed them to go and share with people. Jesus tells them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Jesus is saying what you've received that you should give. So that they give is the very thing that they themselves have benefited from. Healing, deliverance, cleansing, a new life. You see, all the disciples, before they met Jesus, would have been spiritually sick. And in need of healing. Maybe not physically, but in their heart. And, and, and the Bible calls this sin. And actually, you can trace it. You can trace the roots of it, this heart, heart sickness, right back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. And God created all things in the Garden of Eden. And he placed Adam and Eve as stewards of it. And God says, um, have whatever you want in the garden except just this one tree. Don't eat that fruit. Because as soon as you eat that fruit, then that's it. Game over. You're going to die. Adam and Eve are then deceived by um, the serpent. Um, who twists God's words and wanting to pursue their own desires, they break God's rule and they ate from the fruit. And then all of a sudden, their relationship with God is broken. Their innocence in that moment is destroyed. And they wanted to do their own thing and they disobeyed and instead of trusting God, and then punishment for this wrongdoing, for this sin, there's death. It says in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if generosity is about putting others' priorities before our own, then what Adam and Eve did was the opposite. Their disobedience was an act of pride. It was an act of selfishness. And in that moment, Adam and Eve were then banished from Eden. In humanity's relationship with God is then fractured and broken. And there's no way back. And actually the Bible explains this is the condition of every single human heart since that we are born in sin. We're born separated from God. And we need to be brought back into relationship. We need to be reconciled to him in order to escape the wages of this sin, death. And it's in this condition that the disciples in Matthew 10 find themselves. They're, they're, they're sin-sicked and, and, and they're trapped hopelessly waiting. Because you see, right back in Genesis 3, there was a promise from God. That of the offspring of Eve, one would come who would crush the serpent's head. And he would, he would, he would void him of all power. And he would bring healing and reconciliation to all who were broken, all who were sick, all who were half far off. And so the disciples are waiting for this one. For this one to come and bring healing and restoration. For this one to come and crush the serpent. For this one to come and reconcile them to God once and for all. And then Jesus comes claiming to be that offspring. He's the one that's going to deal with sin and death. 
He's the one that's going to come declaring healing and deliverance. We looked at it a few weeks ago, and we looked at Isaiah 61, where Jesus, um, in Luke 4, stands up in the synagogue, and he, and he reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, this is about me. I'm the Savior of the world. I've come to restore. I've come to heal. Now, imagine you're one of the disciples, and you've just watched these last two chapters in Matthew unfold. And you've watched Jesus healing the sick. You've watched Jesus. I mean, literally people were so crowded around and people would just touch him and they would get healed. Right? Jesus has cast out demons. He's raised the dead. Um, And so in that moment, what is it that the disciples have been given? They've been given hope. This is a moment of hope for the disciples that all of a sudden Jesus as the one who will crush the serpent's head, is all of a sudden beginning to evidence himself by the things he's doing. He's doing what he said he would come to do. Jesus is the one who has come to defeat sin and death. And that message of reconciliation, being brought back into relationship with God, that's the message they've received. And that's the message that Jesus is saying. Take, take this and take this as, as evidence and signs. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the disciples have seen a glimmer of what Jesus has come to accomplish. You see, it's a foretaste of what a life transformed with Jesus looks like. Now, at this stage, Jesus hasn't yet been crucified. And so what we get is we get a little window into what's happening, a little window into what's coming. And in, this, and in this chapter, in Matthew 10, he gives them authority. And he equips them with the same power that they've just witnessed at work in his own life. And he charges them to then go and proclaim that he has come to die for the sins of the world and be resurrected to new life, defeating death. That's the message that they're going with. The Savior is coming. The the Messiah, they would have called him, is here. You see, the generosity that the disciples have been shown is that Jesus has not only claimed to be the one who can heal the condition of their heart, but he's proved it by the way he's living his life. And moreover, he then equips them to go and do the same. And now maybe you're here today and you've never received Jesus' generosity for yourself. Perhaps even you recognize that condition of Adam and Eve, of being distant from God and perhaps turning to your own selfish ways and you think, oh, um, maybe that's my heart today. Or maybe just as you've been listening, you've felt your heart being stirred to hope. That, may, that, that, that maybe like the disciples, you, you, you know you've been waiting for reconciliation with God. You know there's something wrong, something broken. And all of a sudden, in the midst of it, there's this hope that comes. Well, today is an opportunity for you to put your trust in Jesus. Maybe for the first time, or maybe even to renew a commitment to him. To accept that Jesus' death on the cross for your sin was an exchange for the punishment that you deserved so that you can inherit eternal life. To finish that verse in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what does this mean for generosity for us? So when we look at uh, generosity as, as the disciples would have experienced it, it was about what they had received then being generous and giving to everyone that they met, those around them. And, and, and there's th- I've broken it into three broad categories. Um, there's so much more nuance and so much more detail that we could go into, um, but three broad categories of generosity. We could be generous with our time. We could be generous with our ministry, our serving. And we could be generous with our resources. Things like finances, the stuff, the material things that we have. And all that we give um, to others comes from this principle of drawing from that rich, deep well of generosity that God has shown us in Jesus. But here's the amazing thing. That deep, rich well in Jesus never ends. You see, you can't outgive God. His well of generosity never runs dry. He keeps adding back to you. Maybe not particularly as you'd expect. It's not a transactional thing, remember. But generosity um, is, is something whereby we give. In Luke uh, chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, and Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Okay, so let's just back up a second. So there's this extraordinary generosity from God where he died on the cross, where he gave himself for us. And out of that place, we carry generosity to those around us. We share our faith. We share the good news of Jesus. And we overflow with generosity um, to those around us. But as we do that, He adds back to us. Do you see that? In Luke 6, for the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the generosity that we extend to others, that we pour out to others, that we give, actually gets added back to us. And so the more generous we are with with, with what God has given to us and trusted us with, our time, our ministry, our resources, the more generous we are with those things, the more God adds back to us. Not necessarily in the same way with which we have given. And so let's look briefly um, at these three different areas very quickly. Um, So generous with our time. So in, 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 in a corporate sense, we must make time for what God is doing. We must be generous with our time. We must give time to it. That's what the disciples would have done in Matthew 10. Jesus called them to go on a journey. They didn't have cars, they didn't have trains or buses. They walked. It would have taken a long time to get anywhere. But they were generous with their time, and they prioritized that time. Building together, doing church together, doing life together is time-consuming. And if we're going to make time for each other, it does actually come at a cost. Intimacy and trust are built over time. They're not assumed things. Just think for a minute about perhaps those closest to you, whether that's a sibling or a friend or something that's particularly close to you. The chances are you've probably spent significant amounts of time with them. 
You've chatted about all the random things of life. You've been through the ups and downs. You've figured out one another's little quirks. You've journeyed together. You've given time to one another. And here's the thing. We're to develop a depth of relationship that God intends for the church. And that takes time. See, we've got to be generous with our time, which means making time for GCs, making time for Sundays, making time for running partners, time for prayer meetings. All of these things are, are, are out of the generosity of our heart to make time for what God's doing that we can journey together and find our way to God. And as we do that, something profound happens, that God begins to add back to us, that God brings people into our life that shape us, that teach us, that show us things. It's, it's the reason that if you ever spent a weekend away with people, relationships just develop so much more quickly because there's an intentionality to spend time with one another. You see, we want to be a church that has deep roots and a common history. A church that has journeyed together in God and developed relationships founded on trust and respect. The strength of relationships that draw us together and set us moving towards this vision of 300 big people that God has marked out for us. The second thing is that we want to be generous with ministry. Um, in these verses in Matthew um, 10, they're actually about ministry, which is why freely you've received, freely give. is probably a better example because it takes the element of transaction out of it. Um, it's about ministry. Go and serve these people. Go and tell them um, that the kingdom of God is at hand. And in two senses, um, we are to be generous with ministry, if you like. Firstly, on a personal level, with the way that we serve uh, not out of a place of compulsion or, or, or having to do something, but out of a place of generosity that God has shown us, wanting to then give ourselves back to him. It may mean that you, you need to find a way to serve on a Sunday. It may mean um, that you need to find different avenues and opportunities to be able to serve more specifically with your gifts, people um, in the body of Christ. And that's been hard to do over the last two years. But we've got to get these things moving again. We've got to be generous with the gifts and the talents that God's placed inside of us to serve one another. Maybe you know that God has given you a specific gift of the Holy Spirit and he wants you to step out and start being generous with that gift and to start blessing those around us. In another sense, being generous with ministry is about not, not holding on to things or people but being willing to release people and release ministry. When you look at the second part of that vision about being a resourcing church, that means sometimes releasing people to serve other churches. If we look at planting churches, that means sometimes releasing people to go and plant churches in different cities and nations. This is exactly the situation that happened in Acts uh, 13. Um, We'll read, from, uh, we'll read from verse 2, actually. Yeah. Um, While they were worshipping the, um, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And this is in the church in Antioch. 
a mighty church when we just had this, this team of leaders gather together um, and as they're worshiping and fasting, um, God says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now Antioch was a buzzing city. It was a city of trade. Um, there was lots going on, loads of people coming and going. To be honest, it was a bit like London, really. And in the midst of it, God speaks to the leaders and he says, set them apart. And then you notice that in verse three, they don't just go, great. They don't just cut them loose and off they go. They then weigh it together. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There was a unity in what God had done amongst them. And then there was a releasing of this ministry. They were generous with ministry. And we see the the incredible things that both um, Saul and Barnabas went on to do. It was incredible. And yet they weren't holding on to them. They were releasing of them. And in that sense, this church in Antioch is a big church. They're big people. They're generous with ministry. And then lastly, generous with resources. And so part of being generous with our resources is about being generous with our finances. That's absolutely right. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm saying with our resources, that's not quite the full picture. And I think if you are like me, you were probably uh, raised in, in, in a home where actually um, money was often the point of giving. It wasn't that that was the only method of giving by any means, but it was often held up as an example of giving. When actually there's many other areas, as we've looked at, there's many other ways that we can demonstrate generosity beyond just our finances. Um, In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, it says... um, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And here... In this, in this particular chapter, Paul is talking about money. In this context, his generosity is, is, is about money. But his words actually have a much deeper meaning in terms of the way we view that generosity. The generosity with our resources. It's like sowing. It's like being given seed that we then sow. And what we sow in due course, we will then reap. It echoes Back to that Luke 6 passage. That measure with which you use will be given back to you. And in verse 6 and 7, we're encouraged to give generously, not under compulsion, but freely, which again echoes Matthew 10. Freely you've received, freely give. Our model for generosity was Jesus. And he gave everything for us. He gave his very life for us. Notice that it's not this transaction It's not if you like come to the bank of God and we put our money in and then God gives us money back. It's not a prosperity thing. But what we give out of the generosity, out of the what we pour so into the kingdom, there are benefits that come back elsewhere. In fact, one of the benefits, if we, uh, in fact, this won't uh, come up on the slide, but a few verses later in 2 Corinthians, 
It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So actually, God who provides the seed in the first place, when we give out of that generosity of heart, and then we reap a harvest in return. But that generosity itself produces thanksgiving in the hearts and lives of those. So when we meet a need or when we step in to help, often what we're doing is, 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 is we're filling a gap that may have been left because somebody's sick. And it produces thanksgiving. Because all of a sudden that weight or that burden is lifted. And so actually by being generous, we can actually demonstrate um, something of the heart of God as we grow and mature in him. And now like I said at the start, I think we are an incredibly generous church. I could, I could, I could probably stand here and list all afternoon different ways that people that I know of have acted generously towards others or, or have acted generously in the way they serve or acted generously in the way that they give their time. I could go on for hours and that's just the stuff that I know. There is so much more out there. And so this isn't a, this isn't a trying to flog people to be more generous, right? This is, this is about bigger picture stuff. This is about understanding who we are and the generosity that we've received in Christ and out of that generosity, then pouring ourselves out and serving one another. That, that, that as we do that, he might be glorified. That it might generate thanksgiving amongst the body of Christ. I'm going to pray um, and then we're probably out of time. But why don't you stand to your feet Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for that, for that radical spirit of generosity, Lord, that you have deposited in our heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that across this room, Lord, there are men and women that give of their time to journey with people, that give of their time to stand and pray with brothers and sisters, Lord, thank you that across this room there are men and women that, that lay down their own desires to serve one another. That give of themselves, that pour themselves out for the benefit of others. Lord Jesus, thank you that there are men and women across this church who demonstrate real faith in the way they steward the resources that you've entrusted with them. Lord, that aren't hoarding, but are releasing Lord, of all that you've blessed. And Lord Jesus, we just uh, come before you with humility. And Lord, we just say, would you continue to cultivate this amongst us? Lord, that we would cultivate this heart of generosity, this big-heartedness before you. Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, because it's what you've called us to. 
Help us to continue releasing ministry. Help us to continue releasing people to plant churches. And even where that might seem at odds with, with, with gathering 300 big people, Lord, I pray, Lord, that whatever, whatever paradox that creates, whatever contradiction that seems to be, that, Lord, in your wisdom and in your might, Lord, you would lead us through. That, Lord Jesus, we would see this incredible 300 people raised up and we would see incredible exploits done for you. Lord, across North London, Lord, across churches, across the nations of the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.